helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Yesterday, I talked about how many Americans are stuck as emotional infants and, and therefore unable to deal with things like you know, disagreements, disappointments, and the facts. Now, sometimes this shows up as simple an unwillingness to acknowledge information they don't like. Other times, as a full-on temper tantrum. Now, yesterday, I focused on how those in the progressive movement dealt with violence, crime, and safety. Today, I want to look at the full temper tantrums that have accompanied the Supreme Court's recent decision in the Dobbs case. Now, hopefully, this will show that those who call themselves progressives really want to regress to an infantile state of other dependence on someone else. Well, hello there, everyday Americans. My name is Paul Engel. You've joined me here at the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, and we teach the rising generation to be free. And if we are going to study the Constitution and apply the Constitution, well, we need to figure out how we're going to react to those for whom the Constitution is simply an impediment to what they want to do. So that's what I want to start with today. So hopefully by now you're familiar with the harassment and intimidation going on at the homes of several of our Supreme Court justices. Now, whether you agree with their position or not, uh, I don't believe involving the families is the right move. Well, except, well, it's always work for the bully to intimidate the family. Just think about it. How many movies, with crime movies, uh, organized crime or gangs, where the threat is is made against the uh, the protagonist's family. You know, get them to do something by threatening their family, which, well, that's pretty much what we see a lot of this doing. Now, most of these have simply been, uh, again, annoyance attempts at intimidation. Being loud, being obnoxious, uh, disturbing people while they're eating, just simply being an obnoxious person. Now, there was one person who allegedly went so far as to plan to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh. But you see, it's, it's, it's escalating. So I, I'm hearing reports that um, there's a group called Shutdown DC that is offering bounties of up to $200 on Twitter specifically to stalk and harass Justices Kavanaugh, Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Coney Barrett, and Roberts. That's right. These people are paying people to harass others. Now, I haven't seen anybody doing anything about this. This certainly would be a conspiracy to, uh, to, uh, to harass others. But, um, and, and of course, you know, this does violate the supposed uh, guidelines of, the, of Twitter. It, it does violate their, their community guidelines. But again, uh, I, I haven't heard that Shutdown DC has been had their account shut down. Maybe they have. Maybe I just haven't heard it. I don't know because I haven't heard a lot about the bounties because, well, from what I understand, not a lot of people are talking about it. Now, in a rare example of a business um, standing up for their customers, Morton Steakhouse responded to patrons harassing one of their customers, to, to people harassing one of their patrons um, by basically uh, allowing 
the uh, uh, the justice to leave through the back, and um, I believe they issued a statement saying that uh, you know it was wrong to to trample on the rights of others to simply congregate and eat dinner in peace, which of course was promptly followed by a boycott request, which I hope acted exactly like the boycott request against Chick-fil-A always worked, and that is by driving business to Morton Steakhouse. But you see, this is this, the acts of a child. You know, Michelle Malkin recalled in an article on The New American how 15 years ago, while she's trying to take her her elementary school-aged daughter and a toddler son out for a weekend breakfast at IHOP and was harassed by somebody who, um, now didn't like her commentaries on Fox News. So this is not new. This has been going on for many, many years. And yes, it sort of reminds me of a a petulant child or uh, an angry teenager that, if they don't get their way, decide to make everyone around them miserable. But I want you to think about this for just a second. Because I heard a description the other day that maybe makes a little more sense of this. You see, there's one side that looks at the other, their opposition says, they just have bad ideas. They're not bad people. They're people with bad ideas. While the other side looks at their opponents as bad people with ideas. And maybe that's what explains some of the reaction. They don't see a distinction between the person and the ideas they disagree with. So they assume that if you disagree with them, you are an evil, hateful person, and anything you do to make them miserable is justified because the ends justify the means. Have you ever heard that before? Because when the Department of Homeland Security issued warnings shortly before the release of the Dobbs opinion that it may inspire violence, No one in their right mind thought the pro-life crowd would be the violent ones. They had every expectation of of getting their way, of having Roe v. Wade overturned based on the leak of a a draft of the opinion. By the way, a leak that um, I don't know that they've identified the leaker yet, but was just another form of intimidation because this group, the, the, the people with this idea didn't get what they wanted. No, everyone expects it's the progressives. And and by the way, I've started using the term, uh, a, a different set of terms for a reason. This is not a Democrat versus Republican. This is not even a left versus right. This truly is progressives versus everyone else. I won't even say it's progressive versus conservative. It literally is progressives versus reality. You see, because for 50 years, the pro-life movement, the non-progressive caucus, when they didn't get what they wanted, when they thought the court had done something really, really, really bad, they spent decades peacefully protesting outside the Supreme Court. Yes, they held up signs, yet every year they showed up and they marched and they were peaceful and they never went after the families of the justices. They, They never threatened violence. Uh, yeah, there were a few people that committed crimes against, uh, you know, abortion centers and abortion doctors. No, no group is perfect, but as a whole, the reaction to the Roe decision was disappointment and anger, but it was peaceful. Compare that to the reaction 
to the recent Dobbs case. And you can even include uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case. But I want to focus on Dobbs today. You have not simply outliers. You have prominent leaders of this progressive movement saying things like, we have like Maxine Waters saying, to hell with the Supreme Court, we will defy them. How about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying that the ruling was illegitimate and told protesters to fill the streets, that elections were not enough. And please remember, these are sitting members of Congress, individuals and whose political party habitually lecture us about democracy while, dis- while complaining about a court that said, no, this needs to go through the quote-unquote democratic process. They talk about the sanctity of American institutions when all the court said was, this, the Constitution given, didn't give us this power. The people and their representatives must do that. See, they're all for democracy and American institutions if they get their way. If they don't get their way, <laughs> well, then things get a little bit uh, crazy. And when Justice Kavanaugh has his dinner disrupted, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mocks him on Twitter. And of course, it's not just the political class. Uh, on an, an NBC opinion article, literally titled, The Supreme Court's Originalism is White Supremacy. I want you to think about that for a second. The title of the opinion article is the Supreme Court's originalism is white supremacy. Following the law, regardless of the color of the person's skin, is labeled as white supremacy. In this opinion, they say, originalist judges express a belief that we should interpret the U.S. Constitution according to the legal opinion of 18th century white men. Um, Sort of. We should interpret the Constitution according to the legal standards that it is. That if you want to change the Constitution, you must change the Constitution, not simply reinterpret it to be what you want. You can't simply hold your breath and stamp your feet and expect the law to change just so you get your way. Now, why are those in the progressive movement doing this? Well, the answer is simple. The same reason when you capitulate to a a child throwing a temper tantrum, they do it again. They learn that it works. How many companies have capitulated to the threats of intimidation from different progressive organizations? Not simply the abortion movement. How about the quote-unquote civil rights movement? How many decades did uh, uh, race baiters like um, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, who extorted companies to hire his Rainbow Coalition, or or the Reverend Al Jackson, the man who made up, who lied about a a race crime and used it to become famous. How often did this happen? Now listen, crime should be prosecuted. Absolutely. You want to express your opinion. Fine. But we're talking about people who have used this tool of intimidation to get what they want. And why are we surprised when If it works, they keep doing it. The reason why shutdown D.C. is is, um, after Morton Steakhouse is because many corporations have folded 
when threatened with uh, uh, organizations like that? How many businesses during the 2020-2021 uh, riots put, uh, we support BLM simply because well, they were afraid they are going to be attacked? How many people submitted to, P to Karen's complaining that you wanted to kill grandma because you questioned wearing a mask or taking an experimental drug? See, the thing about intimidation is when you capitulate to the intimidation, they figure out if, they, if you'll do it once, you'll do it again. And just as with a temper tantrum, temper tantrum throwing two-year-old, if you give in to their temper tantrum, they will do it again. Which is why so much of the debate today has simply fallen apart because you no longer debate facts and data and information. You debate a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum that is devoid of logic frequently, that, that uh, repels facts like... Uh, uh, like a magnet of the same two magnets of the same pole. How do you have a logical, reasonable discussion with someone whose answer is it is because I say so, or something to that effect, or that if you don't agree with me, you're hateful, bigoted, racist, homophobic, transphobic, phobophobic, whatever, where the response is not information and data but an emotional outburst. The answer is you can't have a reasonable conversation. And we'll have to figure out how do we deal with this unreasonable the generation, or at least a generation with a large number of unreasonable person, people in it. But more importantly, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with a movement where the leadership is as unreasonable as a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. Now, the good news is, like any good parent, there is a way to deal with the two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. But I'm going to deal with that a little later in the show. One area where I will be dealing with some of that is in my upcoming tour, the Blessings of Liberty Tour. Right now, I've got dates in uh, North Dakota, Idaho, uh, Wyoming, I'm trying to get some dates out in California, uh, up in the Northeast, in like Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia area, down in, in you know, Georgia and Florida, where we can, I can discuss and debate and talk to you and show you from the Constitution that we don't have to let the children run the asylum. That ultimately the power rests in we the people. And that with a little bit of education and a little bit of fortitude, and a lot of patience, we can actually rein in the screaming children. Oh, we can let them scream, but we can prevent them from ruining our lives. Now, I do have to take a break, but before I do, I have an incredible offer for you from Healthy Cell. Now, Healthy Cell is a leading innovator in nutritional supplements for health at the cellular level, including, by the way, supplements that support your immune system. And for the month of July, the entire month of July, all of my listeners, new listeners, repeat listeners, you can get 50% off the Immune Super Boost supplement. That, that is an incredible offer. 
Now, all you have to do is go to HealthyCell.com slash OutLoud and use the code AMERICA50. That's AMERICA50. So go to HealthyCell.com slash OutLoud, put your, your cart together. When you check out, use that code, and they will give you 50% off your immune super boost. And if you're worried about, you know, traveling and getting sick and... and the Immune Super Boost is a great way to support your immune system, whether you're on vacation, traveling for work, or just, you know, feeling a little off one day. So again, head to HealthyCell.com slash OutLoud. Use the code AMERICA50, and they will give you 50% off your Immune Super Boost in that order. And you can do that through the entire month of July. So give that a try, and then join me back here in a few minutes after this break. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19? We have a, an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's Immune Super Boost. It's a, a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the Immune Super Boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. How the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. Now we invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. And today we're talking about temper tantrums. I know we talk about the Constitution, but right now there are a group of people who are using temper tantrums to try and throw out the Constitution and the institutions that it created. Well, for example, there's a petition on moveon.org 
that has more than a million signatures in just three months. And its purpose? Well, they want to impeach Justice Thomas, among other things. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent, but just as a human being, I've seen plenty of temper tantrums. Now, some temper tantrums are, are relatively mild. They're, they're pouting, they're aggressive, you know, they're, 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 they're unpleasant. I've also seen full-blown meltdowns. Uh, you know, the, the, the stereotypical kid in a grocery store aisle throws himself on the ground, yelling and screaming and pounding and thrilling. And now, I'm not a psychologist. I never even played one on TV. But even I, even I can recognize a couple of things about people throwing temper tantrums, whether they be full meltdowns or merely aggressive disagreement. One is they're rarely based in facts. They're always almost always based in emotion. But to me, that's not the most dangerous part. Sure, you know, we, we, we have an emotional reaction, whether it's the type of cereal the kid wants or the, uh, I don't know, the curfew that the teenager wants. It's this emotional reaction to a situation. The other is, they are extremely narcissistic. They are all self-centered. I don't get what I want, so I'm going to do something unpleasant to make you do what I want, to make you give me what I want. And that pretty much is what this, uh, not only the, the moveon.org petition, but all of these calls from all of these agitators, all of these progressives, to deal with a court because they didn't get the answer they wanted. And you know what's interesting? I have yet to see one make an actual, articulable, constitutional argument why the court was wrong. A lot of people claim uh, they, they overturned you know, a, a, a constitutional right to abortion. Well, no, they looked at the Constitution and realized no right exists there. Others say, well, well, no, they said it was. It, you know, yeah, 50 years ago they invented it. And they said, you know what, we were wrong to invent it. They can't look to a history or tradition of, of uh, abortion in this country. So they're left with, I can't get at what I want. I haven't been able to get it through the legislative process. So I'm, I was able to get it through the, the judicial process. When that was taken away from me, I'm going to you know, throw a fit. Kind of like the child that has, you know, their favorite toy taken away for repeatedly using it to hurt someone else. Now, it starts with things like harassing justices, calling for impeachments. But there are some that go to the full-blown meltdown phase. For example, Rasmussen Reports did a poll between July 6th and 7th trying to gauge the American sentiment on the court and the results from the, the Dobbs decision. And what come out, came out of that poll should be disturbing. Now, now what's interesting is some of the data I'm looking at is focusing on people who are a member of the Democratic Party, which is the political arm of the progressive movement, at least at its leadership. So according to this poll of over 1,000 likely voters, 56% of Democrats believe the Supreme Court is, is a fundamentally racist institution. And 67% believe it is fundamentally sexist institution. 
Now, I'm curious. Now, this is an opinion poll, so we're asking for people's opinion. My question is, based on what? What has the court done that is fundamentally racist? What has the court done that is fundamentally sexist? The answer is nothing. Oh, I'm sure some will point to the Dobbs decision as preventing women from getting an abortion, which it doesn't prevent women from getting an abortion. It simply says it's not a federal decision. It has to go to the people and their representatives in the states because it's not in the federal constitution. Therefore, the people didn't authorize the federal government to deal with this. So, but they say because it, you know, it's women who get abortions, it's fundamentally sexist. Again, it's an irrational emotional reaction. More than half of the Democrats, 53%, want to abolish the, the current Supreme Court and start with a new one. And not only that, they want it, quote-unquote, democratically elected. They want to turn the Supreme Court into another political entity because it'll, they will stand for elections from the people. You know, there's an old saying, uh, uh, and I forget where this came from, but I believe it's actually a biblical saying, before you move a landmark, find out why it was there. It seems they're not concerned with why the court is not elected, why they are appointed, why they are uh, appointed with the advice and consent of the Senate. No, they don't care. They're not getting the outcomes they want. And half of people uh, uh, in the Democratic Party want to simply get rid of the court because they're not getting their way. Doesn't that sound like a child's temper tantrum? But there's more. See, over a third, 39% of Democrats and 48% of voters ages 19 to 39 support giving power to um, the UN over the United States. That's right. 39% Democrats and 48% of young voters want to give the United Nations the authority to reverse the opinion of a Supreme Court. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Again, remember, in our Constitutional Republic, the Supreme Court has neither force nor will, only judgment. Their judgment only has power because we believe it does. But they don't want that. They want an un they're complaining about an unelected court but they're willing to give power over that court to an unelected body that has the, the wonderful history of including, oh, China and Iran in the Human Rights Council. This is an irrational reaction. And remember, this poll was taken um, early in July. But even before then, there, there, the Gallup poll shows, a, or there's a Gallup poll showing that um, only 25% of those polled uh, have any confidence in the Supreme Court. Now, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know I don't worship the Supreme Court. I am not a judicial supremacist. I'm not even a federal supremacist. But what we're seeing here is a... A um, and, and I'll be honest, uh, until recently, I had little confidence in the court. So I guess maybe I'm part of that 75, that 75 percent, that question that doesn't have a lot of confidence in the court. But to see people willing to literally throw away representative government in the name of I didn't get my way. 
How many of that 39% of Democrats that want to turn over uh, oversight of the Supreme Court to the United Nations want the Supreme, were part of the 53% that want the, the Supreme Court properly elected? So you're going to elect court members, but not allow them power. Let them be overseen by unelected bureaucrats out of the United Nations. See, it's an emotional reaction. It's an irrational reaction. And the sad part is, it can be a very dangerous reaction. See, while a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum in a store really doesn't do much more than, oh, uh, embarrass the parents and maybe cause a little bit of property damage if it goes really, really far, if half of young voters want to turn over our sovereignty to the United Nations, how long before they become a majority of the people choosing our representatives in Congress are choosing electors for the presidency. How long before this group of voters is enough of majority, has enough sway and influence to turn America from a constitutional republic to a vassal of the United Nations? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Now, again, in a, an, a, another example of an emotional, irrational reaction, there have been uh, plenty of people, including, again, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Cortez, and in this case, Ted Lieu, uh, um, they sent a letter to Chuck Schumer, Schumer requesting the, uh, the Senate make its position clear on whether Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch lied under oath during their confirmation hearings. Now, I've, heard, I've heard AOC shout this before. They lied. They lied under oath, and she's not the only one. Again, do they have evidence that they lied under oath, or is it simply we, they overturned our sacred cow, therefore we'll charge them with anything we can to get them out of there? And again, I tell this not to the Democratic Party, but to the progressive movement. Now, the Democratic Party has, has become the, um, the political arm of the progressive movement, so I'm not surprised when, oh, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Manchin, and others dishonestly claim that they were misled by Kavanaugh and Gorsuch under their uh, while they were being um, uh, while, while they were being uh, uh, reviewed for their position, but Republican Susan Collins is there as well. But the point they're missing is, see, they say when someone says, oh, "Okay, this is this is precedent. This is long established precedent, and it should be treated with with more weight," as some put it, with, you know, with more value. It doesn't mean that it cannot be overturned. It doesn't mean that the president wasn't wrongly decided in the first place. But again, they simply read in, hey, if you tell me this, that means you're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. When you do that, they have a conniption fit. Even Schumer pointed out that uh, uh, it's not as simple as Judge Kavanaugh saying that Roe was settled law. Everything the Supreme Court decides is settled law until it is unsettled. Well, even Schumer, you got that wrong there because the court doesn't settle law. The court, the, the court gives a precedent for law, but they don't settle it because they don't make the law. And speaking of Susan Collins, her own words betray her. 
She, she said that someone who believes that the importance of precedent has been rooted in the Constitution would follow long-established precedent, except in those rare circumstances where a decision is grievously wrong or deeply inconsistent with the law. Those are judges, Judge Kavanaugh's phrases. Exactly, Senator Collins. Roe v. Wade was grievously wrong because it made up a right that didn't exist. And it ignored rights that are actually in the Constitution of the United States, the right to not be deprived of life without due process of law. It was inconsistent with the law because there was no, in 1973, there was no history or tradition of legal abortion in the United States in its history. That means the decision was grievously wrong. And the fact that it took 50 years to fix it is our shame. Not something to be overturned. But you see, she didn't get the answer she wanted. And again, it's not a Republican versus Democrat. It's not a right versus left. It's a progressive versus the rest of the world. It's the progressive versus reality. I didn't get the answer I wanted. I don't care whether it meant the law or not. I have decided that Roe v. Wade is law and cannot be changed. And if you find a problem with it and you change it, well, then obviously you're an evil human being that must be removed. And again, not simply the political class. Uh, for example, on July 7th, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology issued a statement where they said they will review reports of dissemination of misinformation and disinformation about COVID-19, reproductive health care, contraception, abortion, and other OBGYN practices that may harm the patients we serve or public health. Uh, who defines misinformation and disinformation? Because if there's one thing I've seen is, especially when it comes to things like abortion and COVID-19, Facts, data, and science are not the basis for what is and is not misinformation and disinformation. Uh, according to this, opinions publicized by OBGYNs about COVID-19, reproductive health care, and abortion should reflect the specialist's commitment to scientific and clinical excellence in the needs of our patients. Um, no, it sounds more like it must meet your political leanings. Now, maybe they're going to do this based on science, but... I'm sorry, history says otherwise. I believe there is history to believe that the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology are a pro-abortion group. So what happens when things like pro-abortion groups decide what is misinformation and disinformation? And why, why in God's name, in what is supposedly a free country, do we have quasi-government organizations? I say quasi-government because they're not actually part of the government, but they are used to determine licensing in many states, why are they allowed to decide what is and isn't true? How do you believe in science if you stifle the dissent? If you do not allow questioning orthodoxy, you do not believe in science. You believe in religion, the religion of death, the religion of abortion, the, original, the religion of autonomy above all else. The religion that the ends justify the means. Now, I've pointed out before how uh, Biden signed an executive order to get the agencies to see how they can promote and enforce abortion on the states. Well, finally, a state is doing something to stand up. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has filed a lawsuit the other day 
against the Biden administration for using Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act to try and force states to perform abortions. Now, I want to look into the complaint a little deeper, but yeah, I mean, you've got him saying pharmacists must fulfill drugs. Uh, you, you can't, you know, he's simply claiming powers the federal government doesn't have legally. And a state is at least sued. Now, again, a lawsuit in federal court hopefully is step one. Because remember, the Supreme Court, the federal judiciary, is as much a part of the federal government as the legislative and executive branches. They are a creation of the Constitution, which means they are a creation of the states. And it's time the states start standing up. Now, getting the court's opinion is a good first step. But it, it cannot be the last step. Because, let's face it, if Joe Biden and his administration is willing to ignore the Supreme Court in Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health, why would they not ignore the, the Supreme Court if they found that for the state of Texas in this case? Now, I have to take another break. But before I do, listen, are you finding this information useful? Are you finding it helpful? Would you like resources like this that you can share with friends and family and on social media? Well, do me a favor. Make America Out Loud your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We've got videos and podcasts and articles and stories that you can use to share with friends and family so that we can all work to secure the blessings of liberty, not just for ourselves, not just for our posterity, but for every American and every person legally visiting here. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Welcome back, Everyday Americans, to rejoin the Constitution study. You know, when we're looking at these temper tantrums, there's this natural reaction to try and shut them down. But you see, we live in a free country, which means hopefully we believe in freedom of speech. And I believe freedom of speech is a good thing because it can show just how illogical and irrational those who hold these positions are. For example, in, in a recent um, Senate hearing, uh, regarding, uh, I believe, the Dobbs decision in, in abortion, uh, there was an interesting interchange between Senator Josh Hawley and a California law professor, uh, Kiara Bridges. Uh, she's a law professor at the University of California at Berkeley. And uh, I've tried to clean this up a little bit. I want to play just a little bit of this to you so you can hopefully see what I'm talking about. 
Kaminsky, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So we see here a, a, uh, an opinion, a fact stated without any evidence. Um, I'm sorry, biology tells us that women can get pregnant. A, a woman that calls herself a man doesn't change the fact that she's a woman. But again, the, the, Ms. Bridges here, she's making a factual statement based on nothing but her opinion that uh, sex and gender and are somehow amorphous and biology doesn't enter into it. But let's continue on. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, We can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So again, notice, um, Senator Hawley, and, and I applaud him for the way he approaches he's asking questions. He's trying to understand her point of view. To this point, he has not made a positive statement about his point of view. He's asking her questions, but since she has no facts to back up her questions, now she starts attacking him personally. He's transphobic because he asked a question. He has not stated that they don't exist. He's not made any statement about the validity, about their rights. He's asking questions to understand, and she immediately goes for the personal attack. You must be transphobic because you disagree with me. And of course, Judge Holly, he, he asked, so I'm transphobic simply because I ask a question. So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important. Because of my line of questioning? Because so we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. So here's step two, right? I'm going to bring up a non sequitur statement. In this case, the statement that, oh, um, you know, one out of five transgender people commit suicide. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But again, what does that have to do with whether or not you have to be a woman biologically to get pregnant? Absolutely nothing. It is this, I'm right, you know I'm right, I'm going to throw data out at you, even if it's non sequitur, to prove I'm right. But then what do we see? We see the escalating anger. She starts by accusing Jenna Hawley of saying that trans people don't exist for simply asking about her position on certain things. And then look what happens when he questions that. Her anger starts to build. When he says, wait a second, simply by asking a question, I'm denying their existence. And her response is this escalating. Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you? This is the escalation of the tantrum. So you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people exist? So you see, by, by not entering her delusion, she's equating that with saying trans people don't exist. He didn't say they don't exist. He says, if you want to get pregnant, you have certain biological needs. They are female, women. 
You have to be. You can call yourself whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. But any challenge to her statement, her position, escalates into a, a diatribe of you must be evil and hateful and not and deny their existence because you won't fully enter into my delusion. But now listen to the rest of this exchange. And that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you, Absolutely. or are they also treated like this, where no, 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 they're, they're told that to they're at opening up people to oh, violence? We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot just I know. this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Remember, this is a law professor just admitting that in her classroom, this is how she runs it. If you disagree with her, if you challenge or question anything she says, you're derided, you're called names, you're, you're, you're lied about. Now, again, this isn't the full meltdown temper tantrum, but this is still a temper tantrum. How dare you question any word I say? My word is law, period, end of story. And any question of it will be Treat it as if you are uh, a, 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 not just simply a liar, as if you are an inhuman, uncaring, unfeeling beast. This is a temper tantrum, and it's not the only one. But I want you to think for just a minute what it must be like to be in our class. More importantly, if you are in a law class or if you have a student that is in one of these law classes, what is being drilled into their heads? Is it the law? Is it facts? Is it how to conduct an argument? Well, yeah, it is how to conduct an argument. Like a two-year-old child. I'm right because I say I am, and anything else must be destroyed. Now, there, as I said, there are many forms of temper tantrum. Uh, for example, state judges in both Oklahoma and Louisiana, because they didn't get their way, are simply ignoring the law and applying their own judgments to it. In both states, state judges have issued restraining orders against the implementation of the very laws that the Supreme Court said was the proper way to deal with abortion the, via the people through their representatives. Now, remembering that courts have neither force nor will only judgment, what are these states going to do? More importantly, what are the people of these states, the people who hired the representatives that passed these uh, laws to protect life that are being held up by, in each state, a single judge, what are they going to do about it? Has the judge committed some misconduct? Is the judge up for, for retention election? We, the people, are ultimately responsible. That's what the Supreme Court said in Dobbs. It is our responsibility to decide and yes, through our elected representatives, but it also to hold our court judges accountable to the law. Their job is not to set policy, it's to apply the law to the cases before them. And if they don't like the law and they want to change the law, then tell them to run for office. But what they're doing is a violation of their oath and needs to be, they need to be set aside by whatever legal means are necessary in those states. And again, it's not just Oklahoma and Louisiana. Minnesota just did the same thing. A judge in Minnesota has blocked several abortion-related laws in the state. Now, they say it violates the state constitution. I'm yet to see where. 
because the judge claims that the abortion laws violate the right to privacy, a fundamental right under the Minnesota Constitution. Well, uh, excuse me, Judge, uh, I think it's Judge uh, Gilligan. Doesn't abortion violate the fundamental right to life? You have a right to life actually articulated, not only in the Constitution of Minnesota, I believe, but in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. You not seem too worried about that right. And of course, while all this is going on, the Justice Department just announced a task force to ensure access to abortion. Now, I find this very interesting since, well, the United States Supreme Court pointed out that the right to abortion is nowhere articulated in the Constitution of the United States. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. But again, we have a Justice Department that's simply going to ignore the Constitution, the supreme law they, they took an oath to support, and simply do what they want. Or, or how about uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra? They wrote guidance to pharmacists who received Medicaid and Medicare funding, telling them they're prohibited under federal non-discrimination laws from discriminating based on sex including when supplying prescription medication or determining suitability of prescription medication for patients. Uh, what does that have to do with handing out abortion pills? They, they claim that, well, you know, it would be pregnancy discrimination. Um, the pharmacists are not failing to, to hand out medications because someone is pregnant. They're failing to hand out medications they are not legally authorized to by state law. But what about federal law? Not legal because it was a law made not, not made pursuant to the Constitution. But again, we don't worry about the Constitution laws. We didn't get the answer we want. We are going to find a way to get it. And to loop back to the beginning, that we talked initially about the intimidation of justices. Well, they aren't the only ones. Pro-life clinics, pro-life organizations, churches have been under physical assault for supporting life. According to one pro-life women's clinic in California, they've spent over $150,000 in order to boost security because of the amount of violence they have been subject to after the court released its opinion. Uh, Heidi Mastek, who's executive director of Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Sacramento, told a Senate hearing that pregnancy, center, pregnancy care centers from coast to coast are being targeted for violent assaults and vandalism, hateful attacks online and in the media. In other words, the pro-abortion group, the death cult, the baby sacrificers, they didn't get their way. This, this is the full-on meltdown temper tantrum. I won't simply call you names. I will attack you. Some will just use vandalism, spray paint. There, there's a group called Jane's Revenge that's gone out, uh, you know, breaking doors and windows, spray painting, uh, including their own name, Jane's Revenge. Uh, according to Ms. Maztec, not only the, the violence, though, is, is not simply against the buildings. She said uh, they had a person show up at their door, approach their care center with a machete. That's the full-on temper tantrum. That's the childish meltdown that you expect of a two-year-old who doesn't get their way. So what can we do about it? 
What can we do about the people that are ignoring the laws? But more importantly, what can we do about the temper tantrums? Well, part of it, I think we should take an example from Josh Hawley. Notice, Josh Hawley didn't, uh, did not uh, shut down the person he disagreed with. He let her make her point. He let her show just how nuts she is, just how crazy and irrational she is, just how dangerous she is in indoctrinating her, her students by not allowing disagreement and debate. By her own words, how she treated... Senator Hawley is exactly how she treats her students in her class. So we need to let them vent. Be my guest. Show us just how crazy you are, just how out of touch, just how dictatorial and narcissistic you truly are. But we can't let them escalate to the point of violence. We, when, they, when they approach the meltdown, they must be consequences. Those consequences involve criminal charges, locking them up, putting them on trial, providing the evidence, punishing them. See, many of these people that are committing vandalism do so because they're pretty sure they're going to get away with it. Either because they believe in their anonymity or because they just figure they're so right it doesn't matter. But if you're talking about walking up to a, a, a center with a machete, that can't be allowed. That person must be identified and prosecuted. Because if all it takes is a loud crowd to get your way, then we are fast approaching a democracy. See, if the laws don't matter, but the volume of the argument, we are not no longer a republic, we are a democracy. And our founding fathers had some uh, less than pleasant descriptions of democracy. For example, Thomas Jefferson said, democracy is nothing more than mob rule, where 51% of the people may take away the rights of the other 49%. Or John Adams, who pointed out that democracy, while it lasts, is more bloody than either aristocracy or monarchy. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There is never a democracy that did not commit suicide. And lastly, let's quote uh, James Madison, father of the Constitution, in Federalist Papers number 10. He said, Hence it is that such democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. See, we're witnessing the implementation of a democracy inside our republic. These temper tantrums, these infantile narcissistic reactions are exactly what democracies do. So while I am not surprised that those who call for democracy are calling for such mob rule that want violent reactions to it when they don't get their way, that is how democracies work. But we should look at the outcome, the violence that we are viewing, the hatred that we are viewing, should not be a surprise. Again, this is what democracies do. And this is why our founding fathers didn't create a democracy. They created a constitutional republic. Democracies are infantile. The question is, will the grown-ups in the room take these petulant children by the hand, put them in the corner, and if necessary, give them a good spanking? I don't mean beat them up. I don't mean physical violence. I mean, arrest them, try them, and if convicted, put them in jail. 
Because if we let the mob rule, you won't be safe, your children won't be safe, and America can never be safe as long as the infants are running the asylum. Now, I hope you found this show interesting. Hopefully you'll share it with friends and family, that other people know what we can do, that they can find the Constitution Study weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. They can listen on our media player or our apps for Apple, Android, and Alexa. They can also listen on podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts. Please ask them to subscribe and share the show so that others can find and learn about these blessings of liberty. Learn how we can share them, not just with our friends and family, but with everyone here in this country from sea to shining sea. Shining sea.